What's up, guys? Ryan Horn here, and welcome to the Extraordinary Man Podcast. This is the one and only podcast specifically designed to help married businessmen create more profit and purpose in their business without sacrificing their family, health, or marriage in the process. Each week, I interview some of the world's most extraordinary men, including seven- and eight-figure entrepreneurs, elite athletes, best-selling authors, and world-class speakers. Today, I'm going to be interviewing John Davis. John is an internationally known keynote speaker, comedian, fight director, stuntman, college professor, artistic director, and action hero. He has traveled extensively throughout the world, speaking to audiences of all ages and backgrounds in 28 countries and over 4,000 live performances. John inspires you to set and reach your maximum potential and awaken your inner action hero. After the tragic events of September 11th, 2001, John dedicated a great amount of time bringing entertainment to the soldiers overseas on six USO tours. John performed more than 100 shows and has taken his comedy to even the most remote bases in both Iraq and Afghanistan. John, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you on. How are you doing? I am doing great. And thank you so much for having me. I was really excited to talk to you today about, uh, about your, your audience and the, and the things that we can do to help them go to the next level of being extraordinary. Absolutely. Well, you have, you have quite the bio there. You have a, a lot of variety. Would you mind telling us a little bit of your backstory and also why you call yourself the corporate action hero? Absolutely. I, when I was a young man, and, and, and when I say young man, when I was a little boy, I was the kid who had lots of woods behind my house, thousands of acres of woods, and I always had a stick in my hand like a sword, and I wanted to be uh, Errol Flynn. I wanted to be a, a sword-fighting guy swinging from trees, doing all kinds of crazy things. And what happened was I ended up, I ended up just deciding I really wanted to do stunts and, and become a fight director. And ended up going on to, to work at Renaissance festivals all over the country. And when I started working at Renaissance festivals, I ended up meeting two of the top fight directors in the world, uh, a gentleman named Payson Burton, Brad Waller. And both of them were very um, supportive in me. They, they said that I had talent as an actor and a combatant, and they wanted to give me their training for free. So I went on to start doing stunt work and fight work. I eventually put together a comedy sword fighting show called Hack and Slash. And that show went all over the world, including the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, six USO tours. I've worked in with, with actors for film. I've worked with uh, professional actors for stage. I've choreographed fights all over the world. And then I went on to do a lot of crazy other things. And then later on, what happened was, I discovered doing my show that I was really enjoying the time off of the stage more than I was on the stage because what was happening in my career, being a fight director, a stuntman, a fight, you know, fight choreographer, I was putting people into very stressful situations and bringing them through achieving amazing, amazing results. And so I was able to start helping people achieve their goals. So I had to find a way that I could still do the cool things that I did on stage with the, with the whips and the nunchucks and all the crazy things I did on stage. But I also wanted to uh, help people. So I created the Corporate Action Hero. And now uh, I'm very fortunate. And I get to travel all over the world, awakening people to their interaction hero, getting them to reach peak performances in half the time and develop an amazing workforce for companies as well. So I go out and I, I speak, you know, several times a year. The year before COVID, I, I, I traveled over 200 days that year. 
And so now I, I, that's what I do. I travel all over the world and empowering people to reach their highest levels. That's awesome. It sounds like you have a lot of fun as well. Um, and I got to mention uh, the Errol Flynn reference. I love that. I actually know who that is. So he, <laughs> he's the actor that played Robin Hood in a movie from what, like 1940 or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was actually, it was the first, first, um, first movie in Technicolor. And what was really interesting was years later, years later, I, I ended up uh, taking a few classes from a gentleman named Patty Crane, Patrick Crane. For anybody who's in Canada, they'll know Patrick's name because of this at the Stratford um, Shakespeare Festival. The, the actual armory is named for Pat, Patty Crane because he was their fight director up there for many years. But Patty was Errol Flynn's stunt double. And I took a couple classes from him. Wow. That's so cool. And I would highly recommend people go watch that movie. That's my favorite Robin Hood movie, actually. It's amazing for, for how Me old too. it is. <laughs> um, that's so cool. All right. So you got to tell us, like, what is a comedy sword fighter? It sounds pretty cool. Okay. So comedy sword fighter. Hack and Slash, as I said, was my show. Uh, I was Sir Nigel Hack, and my squire was Slash Montant. And the show itself was based around uh, a Renaissance style of performance known as Commedia dell'arte. Um, if you know Commedia dell'arte, there's these, there's these specific characters within Commedia dell'arte, which are archetypes. And my character is based on what's known as the Capitano or the captain character. And Scaramouche uh, was the, the squire and the squire Scaramouche was the scoundrel character. And so I wrote a show originally that was uh, I was a knight who was struck on the head with a cannonball and I saw everything six inches to the left. And my squire was getting rich because he was, he was making me look good and without, you know, and I was just paying him whenever I felt good. So I was giving him all this, all this money. So we created this show and for the, you know, we, we took this show on the road and we did Renaissance festivals all over the world. Now for anybody on this episode who doesn't know what a Renaissance festival is, just think, think of it this way. That basically means for many years I was wearing tights and living in the woods. So yeah, so the sword fighting show took me all over the world. I did Renaissance festivals all over the, all over the States. I did shows all over Europe. Uh, and then eventually what happened on, on uh, September 8th, 2001, that's a few days before September 11th, I was stepping off stage at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. And these two guys walked up and said, hey, we're big fans uh, of your show. We've been watching you for years. Would you be interested in doing USO shows? And we're like, sure, we'd love to do USO shows. So on Monday, September 10th, we, we went and dropped off our packet at the Pentagon and uh, Tuesday was September 11th and the planes hit the towers in the Pentagon. And then they contacted us about, uh, I guess, three weeks later, they had shut down all their offices. They contacted us and they said, how soon can you go? And we said, we'll go whenever you want. And we left in November that year and we traveled all over Europe for the buildup to going into Afghanistan. We did uh, from November to February that year. And then we did every year from 2001 to 2006 and the first two tours were all across Europe. And we kept telling them, don't send us, don't send us to Europe because they don't need us in Europe because they have entertainment in Europe. You know, if you want to send us somewhere, send us. We, we don't mind going all the way out. And I'll never forget, I was standing on the third tour. I was standing on the flight line in Fallujah, Iraq. And <laughs> I was standing there with the lieutenant colonel. And I was telling him how 
They had sent us to Europe twice, and I kept telling them to send us further downrange. And I finished the word range, and about a quarter mile off to my left, a bomb blew up. <laughs> and, and the colonel looks at me, and he says, son, you can't get further downrange. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what a comedy sword fighter is, a guy who does that kind of crazy stuff. Wow, you're making me want to find some videos of your show. It sounds like it was, it was quite interesting. It's all over YouTube. If you search Hack and Slash and Renaissance Festivals, because Hack and Slash was also a video or video game characters, you'll find them as well. But I haven't done the Hack and Slash show for all, over a decade. So, uh, but you can you can search Hack and Slash and Renaissance Festivals. You will find us all over the all over YouTube. That's cool. I'm definitely going to go check that out. And really amazing that the USO tours and. Uh, your service going over there uh, to perform for the troops. That's really cool. Also, by the way, on YouTube, on YouTube, if they search operations swashbuckle, you'll see actual stuff from the, from the USO tours. Very cool. All right. I want to switch gears here a little bit. How do people overcome their fears and keep moving forward? It's a great question to ask a guy who trains people how to jump off high things. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, I, well, the interesting thing about fear and overcoming fear is, first of all, most people drop into what's no, into a fear state and they, they declare themselves as being in fear. Well, the first thing you have to realize is that if you are, quote, quote unquote, in fear, then you don't have control over your fear because you're inside of something that you can't turn. So the first thing you do before you can release your fear is you have to label your fear. And if you label your fear then what happens on a psychological level, it becomes external. And so now you can control it. Now, actors are trained uh, in Hollywood, on Broadway. They're trained if they're on, on stage and they forget their lines, you know, that, that elicits a huge fear response. And they're actually literally trained to exhale and all their lines come rushing back into their head when they exhale and relax basically. And here's what, here's why that works. Because just like every animal in the world, we all have this primal fight or flight response. And we, we assess every circumstance as a threat or not. And the interesting thing is, is any animal in nature, when they have a fear response, the first thing they do is gasp for air. <gasps> you know, if you're a parent and you have children, you know full well that, that if your kid almost got hurt and you saw it, you gasp for air. You're like, oh, oh, my God, right? Or if you're somebody who's into horror movies and you saw a jump scare, you went oh, and you gasped for air, right? Well, most people, when they're in fear, don't believe they can don't feel like they can breathe or take a deep breath. And it's not because they don't have air. It's because their body is conserving air because their primal response is telling them, to hold on to your air so you can run further and faster. So the exhalation of air at that moment of fear shuts off that fear response. The other thing you have to remember is that fear, when you break it down scientifically, fear is an emotional reaction to a future event that may or may not happen with you focused on a negative outcome. So you're focused on on a negative process. You know, on a negative outcome, right? Basically, if you if you take what I just said and you shrink it down even further, it literally is just negatively focused on certainty. And since it's not rooted in your present moment, there's no reason to have an emotional reaction to something that's not rooted in your present moment. So exhale. <sighs> you know, label it as fear. 
Exhale, relax all your muscles and realize it's not, it's not something that is here present right now and that you can focus on a positive outcome instead of a negative one. Wow. I love the way you, you wrap that up in the, the great summary you gave at the end. What do you think the key to reaching our maximum potential is? It's the, something that I learned in a very hard way. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit, but leveraging your present moment, leveraging your present moment. You know, there's only one moment that we actually can actively think, do, or say anything. You know, our thoughts, words, and deeds are only possible in the present moment. You can't think, do, or say anything in the future. You can't think, do, or say anything in the past. And your past, if you really think about it, your past is just a collection of present moment memories that have a subcon- that create subconscious belief. Your future is just a place where you set present moment goals, right? And to get those goals, the way you get those goals is to make small, successful present moments here, right? And so to reach your maximum potential, you have to realize your maximum potential will never magically appear in your moment, right? When you experience that that maximum potential, it's going to be in your present moment. And so you have to make present moment as successful and as potentially maximum (laughs) to switch it around uh, as you possibly can. And what happens is what's really cool about this is you you're stacking this moment. Now you've, now you've just created this successful, small present moment. You don't have to do the giant thing. You just do the small one. Now that's that one moment that you've just created. What happens to that? It gets stacked in your subconscious mind as a positive, successful moment. And what happens is, the more of those moments you create and your job is to create predominantly positive moments and not beat yourself up when they don't go the way you want them to, you know, those, it's just dumb to, to waste time beating yourself up when you can move on to creating another successful moment. But you start filling your subconscious mind back here with all these positive successful moments, you're suddenly going to have a new subconscious belief. And that subconscious belief itself is creative in your experience. You know, a lot of people sit in their present moment and they look at those giant goals or where they want to be and they think they have to struggle to get to it. And the reality of it is, is that's not the way the brain works. So you, there is only this one moment that you have. And so you make this moment successful. You don't have to get to it. It's coming to you, depending on what you do right here, right now. So don't think about the giant thing. You know, have it set as a goal. But do the small things that are in alignment here in the present moment. That's such great advice. I'm taking so many notes right now. I I think I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to this. So much gold in here. I'd love to know, looking back, has there ever been a pivotal moment in your life that you could point to that has has led to most or all of your current success and achievements? I would say definitely it was all of my current success and, and, and achievements. As you said in the beginning, I was a stuntman, a fight director. I was also a college professor, an artistic director of theme parks. I did all these things. At 22 years old, I was well on the way to becoming a stuntman. I was already working towards my black belt. I was uh, learning fighting styles. I was doing stunt work. I was in incredible physical condition. And and back in those days, I had long Fabio hair. Now I have no Fabio hair. (laughs) And and at 22 years old, a buddy of mine called me up and said, hey, can you help me unload my van? I said, sure, no problem. So I drove out to his house, and he was a professional potter. So he had a van filled with 80 pound boxes of clay and I climbed up in his van and I picked up that first box. And to me, it was 
like an extra workout. I was like, all right, I'm going to work my muscles out. Cause that's where I was really into having a f- solid physical fitness at that point. And I picked up that first box and I turned the set of the outside of the van and my spine split in two. And when I say my spine split in two, um, the upper part of my spine, just above my pelvis, literally disconnected from the lower part of my spine. And I collapsed and was paralyzed. And they took me to the hospital and the doctor said to me, quote unquote, uh, Mr. Davis, you have a condition known as spina bifida occulta. And I said, gesundheit. <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. Basically what that means is three of my vertebrae never formed properly at birth. And when they didn't form properly at birth, um, it created a weak point in, in the lowest part of my back, just above my pelvis. And when I twisted that day with the extra 80 pounds, it actually disconnected the upper part of my spine. Doctor told me he wasn't sure I'd ever walk again. He also told me that no matter if I did walk again, whether uh, that um, I should give up on any concept of a physical career, because there's no way that I would ever be a stuntman. I would ever be a fight director because of the fact that my back couldn't do those things. And they wanted to put a, a metal pin in there to make that part of the back rigid to hold it together. And during the time I was lying there, a buddy of mine gave me a book. And it seems when you look back at it now, it almost looks like a cruel joke. But lying in the hospital, this, this stunt man who was you know, a martial artist, and somebody comes in and hands him a book written by Bruce Lee called The Tao of Jeet Kune Do. <laughs> give a martial artist a martial arts who martial artists who could never do martial arts again, a martial arts book at that time. And um, I started reading that book and I came across this whole passage about mental flexibility. And it was all about you know, being like water flowing around obstacles rather than letting them stop you or hold you back. And I decided that this doctor was giving me a choice. You know, he, he was telling me I couldn't do these things he doesn't get to say what I get to choose for my life. And so I decided rather than take what he said as gospel, I took what he said as an opinion. And I said, I am going to move forward and become a stuntman. And so what I did that day was I started on day one, small present moment successes. And I started flexing my upper back muscles as much as I possibly could, because I had control over my upper back muscles. And I slowly worked my muscles down one step at a time, you know, one minute at a time, even sometimes I started working those muscles all the way down. By day 30, I was, I was already past my hips and my, my hips were already moving, which blew the doctors away. You know, not long after that, I was sitting up on the side of the bed, you know, within six months, I was walking around like a normal individual. And at, at a year and six months, I gave myself a gift. And the gift was I climbed up on a three-story tower and I jumped off into a fall pad. And all of those achievements that you heard me, heard me lately were listed off at the beginning, all the things I've done in my life. Um, those all happened after that injury. Uh, I did over 4,000 live comedy sword fighting shows all over the world. I climbed Machu Picchu. I climbed Mount Sinai. I have been all everywhere you can possibly. I've been to 30 countries around the world now, and I've done amazing adventure filled things all because of the fact that at 22 years old, somebody told me I couldn't and I took my own life into my own hands. I decided to live my life instead of living their beliefs. Wow. That is such a powerful story. Incredible. I love that phrase too, mental flexibility. And you know, you just took what the doctor said as an opinion rather than 
okay, I'm never going to be able to do this again. And uh, that's, that's so awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I would love to know, uh, you think of a, a scary or maybe crazy moment and what techniques you use to overcome it? Well, that's a, this is a great question to follow up with because the scariest moment for me was when the doctor said at 22 years old, you're done. That was a scary, scary moment. And I, and I went to some very deep, dark places in that moment. I contemplated suicide and everything else. And over the course of the next year and a half, I just started to study neurolinguistics and hypnosis and, and uh, how the brain works. And um, I started discovering this pattern. And this pattern was then verified when I started doing USO tours and working with more and more stuntmen, I started to see this process that I now call the five F's. And the five F's are a way of hacking that fight or flight response and turning to, to um, the learning curves into like really short moments. And to give you an example, when I would do one of my big corporate action hero speeches, I, I do you know, speeches on leadership and team building and, and celebrations of, of your teams for good work or, or sending teams off into a new change or things of that kind of thing. And, um, and one of the things I do in my main speech, my corporate action hero speech is I end the program by, by walking out in the audience and choosing the most timid person I can find and bringing them to the stage. Now, sometimes this means I'm bringing them to a stage in front of thousands of people. And I, I bring them up and I know the first, because they're a timid person, when I, when I choose them, I can tell they're a timid person. I know that when I bring that person onto the stage, they have a fear and their fear, their fear is being in front of all those people. And so as they come onto the stage, the first thing I look at them and I, and I, I smile at them so that they know they're welcome. I thank them for coming. And then I turn to the audience and say, isn't she a rock star? And I start giving positive reinforcement and start negating her fear. So now what I'm, what I'm kind of showing you now is a process where I use this in leading somebody else, right? So I, in, I immediately know her fear because I'm an empathetic leader and I'm looking, I'm looking at her situation from her perspective, not mine, not where I want her to be, where, you know, where she is. You know, le leaders are called leaders for reasons. They're not called draggers. They're called leaders, right? <laughs> you're not dragging someone along. You're literally going there and leading them and guiding them. So I now have negated that first fear, all right? Then I, I start talking to her about fishing and I said, have you ever cast a fishing rod? And she, you know, she says, yes or no, doesn't really matter. I said, well, today I want to show you the easiest way to cast a fishing rod. All right. So I want you to hear what I just said. I, I talked about fishing, which is a, usually a calm, serene situation. And then I said the easiest way to cast a fishing rod. Right. So I am, I am framing her mind to an easy, calm, serene scenario. And then I, quote, unquote, hand her the fishing rod, which is actually a bullwhip. And she's now holding a bullwhip in her hand. And I, re I repeat, this is just a fishing. We're just going fishing. I said, it does the same thing. And I, so I'm negating that it's a bullwhip. And the reason I'm negating it, because people have a, have a fear response because of what's associated with the bullwhip. They think pain. They think danger. And you know, some people think frisky Friday night, but we, we're not going to go there, right? Um, but the, uh, in this situation, I want her calm, I want her serene, and I want her thinking easy, right? So then we just talk about fishing. So now I know that there's this little small belief back there because she knows she has a whip in her hand. 
So I turn to the audience there and I get the section of audience that she's facing to all make funny fish faces. And it gets her laughing. So now I'm, 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 I'm literally adjusting her attitude, keeping her focus on a positive outcome, keeping her focus in the positive period. Then I just get her to cast her fishing rod and the whip cracks because it's the same exact motion, right? Now I've got to put her in a situation where, where I'm going to uh, um, throw a little loop into this thing. And the way I throw this loop into this thing is I, I pull out a target and I hold it in my hand. Now, as a leader, I immediately watch her drop into a fear response. And I know as an empathetic leader, what she's afraid of, what she's afraid of at that moment is hitting me or hurting me. So I look at her, I said, did you hear it crack? And she says, yes, I, I heard it crack. So you already know how to make it crack. And I say that multiple times, you already know how to make it crack. Because what I'm doing is I'm reinforcing the fact that she already has the skill and she no longer needs to lean, learn the skill or thinks she's not good at the skill. I'm, I'm reinforcing the fact that she already knows how to make it crack. Then I say to her, I said, look me in the eye. I said, look me right here. I said, I promise you're not going to hurt me. You know, sometimes when you're, you're leading people through a stressful situation, you, you got to lie to them. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You, you, what, what it is, it really is, I have to look at it from her point of view, right? When I tell her I, I'm not going to hurt me, I just reinforce that multiple times. You're not going to hurt me. You're not going to hurt me. And she says, okay, what happens next? As I say, just just focus right here, and I point right in the right in the target I want her to hit. Just focus right there, and cast your fishing rod. And she casts her fishing rod, and she hits the target. Now, here's the cool thing: in, in the whip cracking world, taking a target out of somebody's hand is considered an expert level skill. And she does everything I just said in under five minutes, and it's all by leveraging her present moment, doing doing things, getting her to. Uh, what I would, the five Fs are, are basically fearlessly focus with faith, follow through with flexibility. I get her fearlessly by, by giving her positive reinforcement, negating her fears. I get her focused on exactly what I want her to achieve. I give her faith and confidence by giving her positive reinforcements all the way through and giving the audience even positive reinforcements all the way through. Then I get her to take an action. I get her to follow through. So once I get her to follow through and crack the whip, I, ha I have the whole situation. Now, the next part is the part we started this conversation on originally was mental flexibility. When I held up that target, I threw a loop into this situation, right? I had to get her to remain flexible. And so by getting her to remain flexible was the same process, negating her fear, getting her focus, and all, the whole process again. And then once I got her to the point where she was like, okay, no, we're going to do this, then she hits the target. The thing is, is if you want peak performance, if you want to live an extraordinary life, the, the, the real thing is you got to realize that your potential is only limited by your belief and your present moment actions are tomorrow's outcomes. And so you have to make sure that you are, are literally, you know, taking control of your choices. And sometimes the choices that you have to take control of are whether or not you're going to set your fears aside or not whether or not you're going to take an action. Let me also say this. If you don't take an action, then you need to go back to number one and just figure out what the fear is that's stopping you. Wow, John, that was, that was incredible. You're just dropping value bomb after value bomb here. You're on fire <laughs> on a roll. Well, thanks. thanks. That's <laughs> what I do for a living. That's why, that's why companies pay me the big bucks. <laughs> 
Amazing. Yeah, I can't I can't take notes fast enough. So much stuff. I mean, I, I know we're running out of time here, but wow, we, there's so many follow-up questions I could ask to that. <laughs> uh, but that was an amazing example you walked us through of, I mean, taking somebody from total uncertainty to certainty. All right. So last question for you, John, what is your okay. definition of an extraordinary man? You know, I, I think this is, I, I love the word extraordinary because it's extraordinary if you break it down, right? And the word action hero, action means to create motion, start momentum, or to do something. Hero is someone who achieves extraordinary result in service of others and for themselves as well. And so when I look at the word extraordinary itself, you have to lean into the fact of the word ordinary in there because the, the reality of it is, is anybody can be extraordinary. You know, anybody has the ability ordinary individuals, you know, there's a difference between an, an action hero and a superhero. And the difference really is an action hero is an ordinary individual who creates super extraordinary results. And a superhero is a person who wears their underwear on the outside of their pants and usually has superpowers. That's awesome. <laughs> that's a, that's a great, um, that's a great way of putting it. I love, I love your definition of that. All right. Well, this has been amazing, John. So where can people go to find out more about you and connect with you? Easiest way to find me is corporateactionhero.com. And I'm going to share with your, with your audience a, uh, a free gift. And you're going to have to get it in the show notes because the actual link is ridiculously long. And, and if I told you on, here online, you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't remember it. So what this free gift is, is the 5F workbook. It helps you go through your own process. Now, I want to clarify something. I did say free gift. And I mean free. My word is good. You go to this link, you download the book. There's nothing on that page that will sell you a thing. You don't have to give me your email address, anything like that. My word is good. You go there, you just download it. You're going to be on my site anyway. If you want to look around, you're going to find I have a, I do daily videos for motivation. I have my, my other podcast is on their interaction hero. You're going to find all kinds of interesting things about me speaking and all the things that I do all over the world. If you, and I'll give you a little super secret thing. If you go under the speaking tab and into the drop-down menus, you go to the four planners page, you're going to see all kinds of videos over there, including a young lady going through the whip process. Fantastic. Well, I know where I'm going right after this interview. I will definitely make sure that that is in the show notes so people can go and just click the link and go directly over there. And I'm excited to dive into that 5F workbook. It sounds incredibly valuable. All right. Well, John, it has been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I, I am sure 100% that we have awakened some extraordinary results in some, people, some of your audience today. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Extraordinary Man podcast. Do you want a free one-on-one -on -one business accelerator coaching call with me personally? Go to aoemen.simplecast.com and click on the free coaching tab at the top. I've specifically set aside five spots for listeners of this episode, and they're available on a first-come, first-served basis. Again, to take advantage of this exclusive and limited-time offer, go to aoemen.simplecast.com now. Until next time, remember to go out there and become the man you were created to be. I'll see you on the next episode.